0: so darren remind me your title
1: my title uh, uh, who are you who am i um i am the president of rentechnic group inc
0: that's darren cooper his company rentechnic group goes into hospitals schools city buildings industrial facilities and fixes energy and operational problems using data rentechnic what does that mean
1: so the ren actually means clean and the technic means technologies it's a it's a sort of an amalgamation of some Swedish words. When we were sitting around a table drinking coffee trying to come up with a name, that's where we ended.
0: <laughs> I spoke with Darren while he was in New York. He was visiting Paul Kuhn. Hey, Stephen. Good morning. A guy some of you might remember from our previous episode on New York City's Green New Deal. Paul works over at Centrica Business Solutions.
2: And I'm focusing on our platform, which is all around industrial energy monitoring uh, to the individual granular equipment level.
0: Centrica's got this technology called panoramic power. It can detect any electrical device at the circuit level and then feed data about those devices into the ever-learning cloud, where people like Darren act on it.
2: Darren and his team are kind of the virtuosos who take the guitar and learn how to make music with it. They are the ones who are figuring out the solutions for the customers, how to interpret the data, how to leverage insights out of the data, how
1: to act on the data.
0: Darren, do you think of this uh, work as in musical terms as Paul defined it?
1: I mean, I think it's a very good analogy to Paul's point sticking with the musical piece. In In a lot of ways, the reality is that when you bring the right things together, amazing things happen. We've seen huge change in what we are capable of doing from an engineering standpoint, a business standpoint, as the ability to get usable data has grown and continues to grow. We are sort of the conductor of the orchestra in that we are working with the technologies and working with the different clients and kind of keeping them all in sync with each other.
0: All that usable data is the result of a dramatic increase in connected devices feeding into the cloud, creating what we all know as the Internet of Things, or IoT. For the last decade and a half, we've been hearing about how IoT would completely reshape how our buildings operate, and how we operate within them. And while the layer of digital tech in buildings is advancing all the time, the IoT revolution is taking way longer to play out than some expected. That's why we brought Darren and Paul together. Because they are deep in this world. And they come face to face with the possibilities and the limitations of the Internet of Things every day. So, Paul, have we met the promise of IoT that so many have outlined?
2: Candidly, no. I think we're at the point where we're really talking about not the devices themselves and the capabilities of the devices, it's the operationalization of those devices. We are on the path, but there's a long way to go. And thankfully, because that means there's work for people like myself and Darren, and and exciting work at that.
0: I'm Stephen Lacey. In this episode, produced in collaboration with Centrica Business Solutions, a practical conversation on IoT in buildings. By next year, there will be 10 billion IoT devices connected to the cloud globally. In three more years, that number will more than double to 22 billion. Billions of those devices, sensors, intelligent lighting and HVAC systems, control systems, are being deployed in commercial buildings and industrial facilities and connected to the cloud. They're making buildings smarter, sure but are they making the people who run buildings any smarter? That is what I asked Paul and Darren. We started off by defining our terms. We hear so much about the Internet of Things, but what exactly is it?
1: The Internet of Things refers to a device that is providing information essentially to the cloud. So you're amassing this data that then can be processed collectively and used. So it's everything from direct information. So it could be occupancy sensors or temperature sensors, things within the building. It can be external data. So it could be immediate weather data. It could be the predictive weather data that's coming. So all of the things that interact with the building now in the near future and in the more distant future. So, essentially, the Internet of Things is the cloud.
2: Maybe you recall, Stephen, there was this specific to the types of sensors and devices and communication and control we're talking about. There was a commercial a number of years ago where elevator's out of repair and the repairman's already there and someone comes up and says, oh, when did the elevator break? And he says back to the guy on the street, it's going to break tomorrow. You know, that's the predictive maintenance bit that I think is just now starting to come into the dawn of being as opposed to, you know, reactive maintenance. But the average person, I don't think, really has a conception of kind of where to put the buckets of all these different things. And even the professional, I think, has a very difficult time bucketing all these different things that you can do. On the most basic level, it's just reporting new information and analyzing new information. Go another step, and it's analyzing it in real time with machine learning. Going the step further to control and even communication between devices without the interaction of either a human or a central computer is another whole level beyond that. Approaching this and understanding it is challenging, I think, candidly for even professionals in the space.
1: I would agree with what you're saying there, Paul. I think one of the biggest challenges to IoT today is the complexity and having people who understand all aspects of the complexity because you're integrating so many different components and systems and how they function and how they interrelate with each other across a multitude of platforms with different standards. And it's a mess at the moment. We have yet to standardize.
2: Yeah. So Darren, how many times have you seen a client who just says, I've already got a dashboard. I don't want another dashboard. It's information overload. A lot of these clients want a solution, an answer, not another pretty dashboard to look at. How do you help them to overcome that initial objection and to work better with the tools
1: that you're giving them? That's a great question, and it doesn't really have an easy answer because, to your point, they already have a dashboard. So they've already potentially been lured into this false sense of security that because they have something to look at and there is something in the background, that everything is fantastic and everything is working really well. They may be not being alerted to some of those pieces. You and I had conversation yesterday where we were looking at rooftop unit operation, And until you get down to the granular data, you don't realize the cycling off and on that's happening, the unit's working and the space is cool, and therefore it's assumed to be working well. That's the challenge of IoT in a nutshell. It's what's happening in the background. And there is a definite position that people take that we've got this already because they don't understand what this is that they have. They have some of it, they may have none of it, and the ability to eventually get to The promised land of where we can go with IOT, I think, is a long way away. So,
0: Darren, walk me through the utopian vision for IOT in commercial and industrial buildings.
1: The utopian vision for commercial and industrial facilities, I think, is very different you're dealing with two completely different complexities to begin with. If you take a commercial building, essentially you are dealing just with the building itself and potentially the interaction of the people coming and going from the building. That may get more complex over time, but in today's world, that's what you're dealing with. On the industrial side, you are not only dealing with the building itself and the people that are entering and leaving the building, you are bringing into that mix all of the operations of proprietary equipment within that space. And that is equipment that has complex controls and operational aspects to it. In addition, a lot of proprietary operations. So there's huge pushback in that space around IoT just because of the security. The risk of somebody hacking in and being able to learn what it is that is done in that industrial facility or be able to shut it down or or do something to it is a fear that exists that's potentially a very real fear. I I read recently that as much as 70% of the connected devices are vulnerable to hacking, sort of two completely different areas. What we've seen more of in the industrial space is a willingness to potentially look at the controls related to the building itself rather than the operations within the building. So as they move into the IoT space, it's more related to exhaust and make up air, heating and cooling, and and those sorts of components. I think longer term integration is going to take time in the industrial sector, much longer than it is potentially in the commercial real estate sector.
0: Paul, there's a problem in commercial buildings. And you know, you work on helping them adopt distributed energy systems. And there are a lot of corporates around the country, around the world, that are installing renewable energy or cogeneration systems at their buildings, and they're becoming cleaner. But they're not necessarily paying attention to the underlying building performance as much as they could be. How much of a problem is that? And how do you want to change that?
2: There's an analogy, good or bad. You've got to lose the weight before you get the new suit. That is, in a lot of ways, what energy efficiency is like. You don't necessarily want to put an oversized solar or combined heat and power or standby generator or fuel cell, whatever the power source is, at your facility when, you know, you may have some really low-hanging fruit around upgrading HVAC systems or optimizing the the envelope of your building or even you know integrating certain sensors I mean, I've seen some really incredible technologies where you know you can change your control systems based on actual occupancy of the building. I mean that's that's pretty exciting which is something that is not currently widely distributed. There are quite substantial gains to be realized through efficiency in buildings. To Darren's point earlier A lot of those efficiencies are challenging in the built environment versus, say, a new build. But it isn't to say that there aren't a number of things that can be undertaken. So I think that broad scale, there's absolutely a lot to look at there, and they should look at it. And that efficiency may actually mean just producing more with the same amount of energy. And It may not be necessarily a savings of energy. It might be being more efficient with the energy that you're using. I think there's a lot for commercial industrial owners out there to look into and a lot that, frankly, many major companies are just not even
1: aware of.
0: Darren, how much of a problem is this? I think
1: it's a fairly big problem with respect to getting an understanding of what you should be doing, what you should be selecting, to Paul's point there. The complexity and the ability to do lots of things can be overwhelming. So maybe it needs to be kind of rolled back a little bit to focus on the things that can be done. And to give an example of what I'm talking about, the HVAC system in a building, the heating, the cooling, your ventilation system, is one that can be relatively easily retrofitted from a control standpoint and will integrate things like occupancy and the efficiency in the operation of the equipment and tie into things like weather, there are some components that maybe should be a primary focus to really get the Internet of Things up and running in a broader sense with maybe less talk about what the utopia looks like because the reality is that utopia is never going to occur in a lot of that existing infrastructure.
0: What I'm hearing is that this story, this issue, isn't even necessarily a technological one. I mean, we have cheap sensors. We have systems that work. We know how to integrate them it's actually changing culture. It's changing the way people think about managing their buildings. It's changing the way people do their jobs. It feels to me like a structural issue, not a technology issue.
1: I think it's both. I think that there's a cultural component to it, and there is a complexity component to it. There is so much variation in the different systems, and people historically tend to be specialized in certain areas within the trades and trying to get that cross-pollination between all those different groups of people and everybody understanding what everybody else's stuff does and how it is connected to each other and how making adjustment here has an effect over there. You know, to give another example of that, you could install blinds on your windows that have little solar panels to run the motors, and depending on where the sun is in the sky and what the ambient temperatures are across the different seasons, those blinds could be opening and closing automatically automatically. If it's a sunny winter day and it's still fairly warm outside, maybe the blinds are still open to bring natural light in. If it's a very cold winter day, those blinds are closing to help with the insulation of the building, and that's interconnected into your control system. So when the blinds are closed, the system knows it's the weather's colder outside. It's preheating the space in order to maintain the comfort. There's a lot of complexity in making what I've just talked about, actually work in reality. It's easy to have a conversation about what that would look like. But there are a number of different people who have to be involved in the setting up of that. And it's, again, only as good as the weakest link. So if the blinds stop working properly, then the system is anticipating the blinds to be closed when they're not. So now it's doing something it wasn't supposed to do. And the lack of knowledge of how that system works would typically mean that somebody would try to override that. So one of the other challenges that we haven't even talked about now is even sustaining the optimized system that's being created and not having a situation where it worked very well for a while but is now working terribly because it's been fiddled with to try and deal with effectiveness rather than efficiency.
2: That is not easy. The devices are there and everything's there. Sometimes the will isn't there from top to bottom in an organization. Sometimes there are misunderstandings. It's difficult to change human behavior, even if you can do very cool things.
0: Darren, what's the best use case of IoT in a building that you've seen?
1: I saw a very good implementation in a commercial building of an HVAC uh, control system that essentially was an integration of some occupancy data, but essentially just cloud control of the, the temperature within the space with an integrated sort of machine learning piece where over the initial period, the system learned what the recovery time was based on what ambient conditions were. So relatively simple example of a connected system that you can see in the cloud and you can make adjustments to as well. The piece that really intrigued me more than anything about that was we were also monitoring the energy efficiency of the system. Having done that and seen you know, how the startup, for example, in the morning got shorter because the system learned that... It didn't need to start an hour before to reach the temperature, knowing what ambient was going to be for the day. It might only be 15 minutes or 20 minutes. And changing that start point automatically created savings. It improved the comfort. But I think on top of that, it also eliminated waste. Things were happening when nobody knew that that was happening. And in that particular instance, we actually saw a 58% drop in annual energy consumption in that system with an improvement on occupancy comfort.
0: Paul, what about you? Best use case of IoT in a building you've worked in?
2: The best use cases I've seen of monitoring for energy, be that electric or gas or water, because we can include all those things nowadays, is really around operational savings. Yes, you can get quite a bit around HVAC, but it's looking at a piece of equipment and seeing that the phases are out of balance. It's looking at a piece of equipment and seeing that due to incentives, they're driving motors into the ground and maybe they want to upgrade those motors or change the motors or or do something different. It's looking at systems and although, you know, you might have data from your automation system saying that it's operational, it's seeing that that piece of equipment is operating very poorly or it's operating double what it should be or more. I mean, these are all real use cases and especially in, in food production. We've been doing a lot of food production recently. And the best use cases we've seen are where we've identified a failure in a system or an imminent failure and been able to alert the right parties and have planned shutdowns. I mean, situations where a shutdown unplanned costs them $15,000 an hour. Planned, it's a couple thousand dollars in off hours. It's huge savings. For some customers, the measure and the magnitude we've seen are savings of 100000 or more and that's really the exciting stuff. To be fair, not at the level of absolute automation where in every situation we're always gonna be able to detect the right electrical signature because equipment is different across conveyors and belts and pumps and motors and fans. In all the best situations, it's really making massive operational insights that help companies to keep producing and not have unplanned failures.
0: Let's look at the other end of the spectrum What is the worst use case of IoT you've ever seen in a building? Darren?
1: I probably have a similar example, actually, to the first example that I was giving about the best case. I've seen a worst case scenario where a building went from, you know, traditional thermostats to a new cloud-based solution. We happen to have energy data for the building at a fairly granular level. I happen to speak to the building operator who was very, very excited to show me the app that he had on his phone and that, you know, he was controlling all these devices and he was getting feedback on equipment that, you know, hadn't worked or hadn't come on and it would give notice around when he had to do filter changes. And he was also super happy that this deployment was so amazing because it seemed to be seamless. Nobody was complaining about comfort. The piece that he was missing was that, The data that we had showed that the system was incredibly poorly set up. And as a result, there was functionality, but there was not efficiency. The consumption was probably double what it was in this new IoT state-of-the-art system compared to what would have been thought of as an antiquated system. And it comes down purely to not the ability of the new system to do things much better, but the inability of the human component to make it do what it's supposed to do.
0: Paul, what about you?
2: Bought the sensors, I think they're still in a box somewhere.
0: So not implementing at all.
2: That is rare. That is very rare, but I have an anecdote of one. Honestly, they did the installation, but no one ever became a champion, no one ever engaged with the system, and then they say, oh, well, this thing doesn't work. Well, if you don't use it, if you don't learn how to use it, if you never engage with it, that is where you know, a lot of the kind of mediocrity is in this kind of IoT universe. And look, I get it. It's easy to get overwhelmed. But if you never engage with the information, if you never figure out ways to solve problems for yourself, you've basically admitted failure from day one.
0: So let's look ahead and think through some of the big technological improvements or even leaps that we're likely to see that will improve this space, make buildings smarter, increase actionability. Paul, what do you think is on the horizon that will change the game for IoT in buildings?
2: So one thing in the industrial space, Centrica had purchased a company called Restore, and they've been integrated with our systems. They're called Advanced Optimization now. And Restore is... An industrial computer that finds flexibility in industrial process and leverages that in the markets. I think the best analogy is when you're on an airplane and they've got an overbooked flight. Essentially, it's much like the power markets. You've got too much demand and not enough supply. And it's a question of money. It's how much is being offered at that given moment in order to create the flexibility. The flexibility could be there. You know, a passenger doesn't need to fly today. They could fly tomorrow. The same is true in the industrial facility. Something can be processed now or processed later. There is flex in cement plants. There's flex in processing facilities, food facilities, and that's a today thing. What I am excited to see is not only that automation, but aggregation within the power markets. There's power that technology has today that we have not developed the systems for to be able to leverage, or even grid operators are not yet familiar or comfortable with the technology's ability to provide that service. So most notably, we've seen the proliferation of storage in the United States in the last couple of years, but the bigger challenge was how to recognize the value of storage. And I think IoT, a lot of the capabilities are there. It's now how do we create the programs that recognize the value?
1: I think to add a little bit more to that discussion, I think improvement in machine learning is also going to be a very significant aspect to this. And again, just to keep a simple example, just looking at how the computer that's controlling that heating and cooling system was looking at how long the recovery period needed to be and looking at the weather data If you were trying to do that as the technician on site, you would be constantly running back and forth and making some changes and trying to find out if people were still comfortable and you could not process the amount of data yourself to arrive at that end goal of having optimized things like start time. So the machine learning component to this, the stuff that is happening with the big data in the cloud, with these supercomputers, I think as that continues to develop, we will see a lot more improvement and uptake in the IoT space. I still believe that more of that, though, will be in more of the new build space or in the very, very heavy retrofit space. It's not necessarily going to trickle in large amounts over time into other areas that exist already. The
2: ability of computing either device to device or device to the cloud and back to the device or between devices. It is creating new paradigms in the sense that something that might have taken hours or days can happen in the fraction of a second. So it becomes seamless. That's incredibly exciting and uh, absolutely where I think additional power is going to come from all these devices.
0: And so what about the underlying networking infrastructure that allows for greater processing power? How might 5G impact these trends?
2: Well, 5G is a very exciting leap in technology because it's going to provide not only greater speeds but greater capacity within networks. It will reduce latency you know, for people who don't deal with technology on a day-to-day basis. It's the, the speed to which the call and response, you know, it will seem like it happens instantaneously. That is going to allow even more devices to connect to the internet of things. I think that the 5G transformation is almost as challenging as it was to imagine the Internet of Things coming online in 2009, 2010. There's so much hype around it, maybe embodied in things like cars that talk to each other and drive themselves. Sounds like a really incredible use case. I was watching a video the other day with Tesla's call my car or fetch my car or whatever the heck it's called and it seems like technology of the future you know how that gets transformed into what we're doing in the next few years we are really yet to see
0: we're in a world where although the adoption of these systems is imperfect and people are still trying to figure it out you're at a competitive disadvantage if you are not thinking about how to make your buildings smarter You obviously now have environmental pressures and human health pressures that make the need to outfit your buildings with IoT systems is much more important. So what are the consequences of inaction for commercial buildings, industrial buildings, if we can't make this happen fairly quickly?
1: I would say the biggest disadvantage is competitiveness. You know, whether that is in a commercial building and you're looking at retention of your tenants, that retention revolves around two things, really, comfort and cost, in my opinion. So, you know, do they like being in the space? Are they comfortable in the space? And is it affordable? I think that a lot of the IoT systems can help improve in those areas if they're being implemented well. You improve access to the building egress from the building, parking, all of those things that I think people are looking for. You know, if you drive into the parking garage, as an example, and it tells you where the vacant spaces are versus driving around for half an hour looking for that one spot that you know is there somewhere. The buildings that implement those pieces will have a competitive advantage. And I think that money makes the world go round. So it is all about competitive advantage.
2: I also think it's about competitive advantage. It's easy to sell the argument of competitive advantage. It's challenging in another aspect because you're looking at changes that may take over five or ten years. I went yesterday to my doctor, and it was like living in the Jetsons. I showed up, typed in my name, fingerprint scan, printed out a bracelet, bracelet scanned at the elevator, elevator took me upstairs, circled through, interacted with folks. It was brilliant. It was absolutely amazing. Is that really much different than going to a doctor's office and filling things in paper? Was the net result much different? I think in the short term, no, but going back to telephones... Those initial telephones, people said, why do I even need this? A hundred years later, you can send a text message across the planet in an instant and you'd say to yourself, well, of course I have to have that. It is ultimately competitive advantage. I love early adopters. I love the middle adopters, you know, the folks who really want to take on the technology and engage with it. I'd love to see people take things on more quickly, but not everyone reacts to competitive advantage, which is often challenging.
0: Paul Kuhn is Senior Sales Director of Distributed Energy at Centrica Business Solutions. Paul, good to chat with you again.
1: Thank you, Stephen, as always.
0: Darren Cooper is President of Rentechnic Group. Darren, good to talk to you.
1: Thank you, Stephen. It's been my pleasure.
0: This episode was produced in collaboration with Centrica Business Solutions and GTM Creative Strategies. Centrica is using analytics, market know-how, and distributed energy technologies to help CNI customers take control of their energy use and improve their environmental performance. You know, actually acting on the promise of the Internet of Things. To learn more, visit centricabusinesssolutions.com or just click the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening.